Take your Bibles and turn with me if you have them to Matthew chapter 4. If you've got a, a smartphone, you can use the Version Holy Bible app or Bible app and we will uh, follow along there. I will start this morning by asking you a question and I want you to think about it and I want you to um, come up with something that you can share with someone around you. I want you to think about what is your favorite food in the world? What is your favorite food? All right. Now I want you to turn to somebody around you, several people around you, share with them your favorite food. Just tell them what it is. All right. All right. Now, everybody face this way. Somebody tell me what's your, you know, what's your favorite food? Steak over here. We got steak. What else? Bacon. Any kind of bacon. Right. We got Joshua over here. French fries. All right. Chocolate meatballs. Is that what I heard? Oh, chocolate and meatballs, not together. All right. So, anybody in the balcony, anybody up there, your little crew up there want to share? Peanut butter fudge. Is that what was upstairs? All right. There we are, Nancy. Peanut butter fudge over here. Pizza rolls. All right. I thought he said chocolate chip pizza rolls. I haven't had those, although they don't sound bad. All right. Over here, too. Poppy seed chicken. Casey's poppy seed chicken. That's what... That's a, that's a good. Casey made sure we added Casey's to the front of that. All right. One more over here. Spaghetti. All right. That's good. All right. Very difficult word to say, but really good food. All right. When, when I was in a, when I was first pastoring, uh, I uh, got up one Sunday and we we uh, were talking. I was talking. I can't remember what the illustration was, but in the midst of the illustration, I told everybody about my deep love for macaroni and cheese. OK, no, it's not. I wouldn't put it as my absolute favorite food. But I really like macaroni and cheese. And I really like the Kraft macaroni and cheese. Okay, But what I like more than that, all those that just uh, can repent one day, all right? Uh, what I really like more than that is when you get a good southern homemade macaroni and cheese. And so I said that in a sermon one day. And about two weeks later, we had um, a potluck dinner. You know what those are, right? Dinner on the grounds. It was big deal. They were, I'd, I'd only been there a couple of weeks, and it was so we're welcoming the new pastor. We got everybody there, and there were 15 bowls of macaroni and cheese, and I had to taste them all. All right, and it about tested my limit of my love of macaroni and cheese because I had to try to differentiate between them all. Well, let me ask you this question, okay? So that's your favorite foods. What would your favorite food be? If you hadn't eaten in 40 days, anything is what somebody said. Absolutely anything, right? If you hadn't eaten anything in 40 days, whatever is there would probably be okay for the moment. We're going to look at the story of Jesus and his temptations over the next few weeks. And we're starting today with this very first temptation. Now, those of you that have been in church, what was the first temptation? To do what? Turn the stones into bread, all right? Look with me in Matthew chapter 4. We're going to talk about it a little bit today. We're going to talk about what it means and how we can apply to our lives. But Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. This was after his baptism. We talked about that last week. It said, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights. What does it mean to fast? 
No eating. So 40 days and 40 nights, just in case we thought, because there are some fasts that you eat after the sun goes down and you fast during the day. For 40 days and for 40 nights, he fasts from food. And then it tells us this. He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God. Now, in the baptism, we talked about this last week, as Jesus came up out of the water. Right as he came up out of the water, God spoke down in a voice and said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. So Satan is saying, All right, if that's true, Jesus, why don't you just tell those stones over there to become bread? Just, just turn them into bread. I mean, you're hungry. There's no need to be hungry. You've got the power. If you're God's son, you can do anything. And if you're God's son, there's some stones out here. If you're God's son, just, just turn it into to bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about two principles that come out of Jesus' answer to Satan. And then I want to talk about what was really at stake here. And so what I want to do is take a little bit of a journey through this process and how it impacts our lives as well. And the first thing I want us to see this morning is that man does live by bread. Man does live by bread. Now, here's what it says in this passage. It says that Jesus went out into the wilderness... And for 40 days and for 40 nights, he ate nothing. And then it gives this little thing that seems almost like a, uh, well, that's what would happen kind of thing. Or I don't know why that's in there. Or absolutely, that's what would happen. If you hadn't eaten for 40 days and for 40 nights, you would be hungry. Right? Are you with me? All right, all right. And what it tells us in here is that God created every one of us with appetites. He created us with this desire to eat, to drink, to other things in our lives we'll talk about. But the idea with Jesus is he was just as fully human as you and I. And so when 40 days of not eating, day or night, he was hungry. Now, have you ever thought about the fact that God didn't have to give us appetites? He could have just said that we would have been programmed some way that when it was time to get sustenance, it was time to get food, when it was time to get energy, we would just say, well, now it is time for me to get energy. Here's the thing that I thought about this week. God didn't have to create us with taste buds. You know what gets me in trouble a lot of times? Is my taste buds don't like the really healthy stuff. Right? What, what, you know, Mountain Dew is not healthy for you, right, Randy? You know, no, it's not, Randy. It is not the food of, of, of the... It helps you. But it sure does taste good on those taste buds, right? Somebody mentioned chocolate. Now, chocolate, I, before, you know, I know chocolate has some medicinal purposes and when it's out in the wild and you harvest it and you eat it that way. But the way we eat chocolate isn't really good for you, all right? Even for me, one of my favorite foods is a big slab of red meat steak. Now, for some of you, that's just gross. But for me, man, you can't eat that all the time. It's not real good for you. But, so why did God create us with taste buds, with desires, with appetites? Well, it's because he wanted us to go after the things that we needed to sustain our lives. He, 
these appetites, specifically, we're going to talk about some other things, the need for power or approval or those kind of things in weeks ahead. But specifically in this instance, Satan attacks Jesus's physical appetite. It's bodily in nature. It's specific to our bodies. And he really was hungry. Now, let's don't minimize what's going on here with Jesus. I mean, we've all at some point in our lives been hungry. And I, I mean, like you've missed a meal and your stomach starts to growl or you get a little cranky or you uh, start to get a little lightheaded or weak. I mean, all of that happens when we miss a meal and get hungry. That's not the kind of hunger we're talking about here. The hunger we're talking about here is life-threatening hunger. And Jesus is in a desert environment in a rocky land where it was life-threatening in his hunger. So this isn't just, well, I skipped breakfast this morning. But we know the intensity may be different, but we know what it means to have an appetite. In fact, some of you have... um, uh, desires or or appetites that that are raging right now. Some of you have a stomach that is growling. Some of you um, are already thinking about whatever the Mother's Day meal is going to be today. My, my family, that, just think about how cruel this is. All right, my family who came to early service sat through. They they left a few minutes ago, and they have already gone to Olive Garden. So as I'm talking to you now, they are probably enjoying Olive Garden. Now, we won't talk about the cruelty of that right now. But we have those hunger issues. Some of you have other things that are going on. Maybe maybe you're thirsty. Maybe it's not the, the hunger, but, you, but you, your, your throat's dry. You're thirsty. Some of you are, are uh, like, man, I'll be glad when this is over because I am bored to death and my senses just need more excitement. I need to be in front of the TV or I need to be outside. I need that, that kind of sensory uh, excitement. Or some of you are just worn out, tired. All right? I won't mention who it was, but somebody already apologized to me today on Twitter for being tired this morning. All right? Uh, some of you are sitting there thinking, I just hope I can keep my eyes awake. And some of you on some Sundays just don't even fight the battle. You just go ahead and give in. So we have these bodily needs for rest, for food, for water. Now, we've also got these artificial ones that we create in our life sometimes. If you've ever uh, talked to anybody that's tried to quit smoking, you realize that their body through smoking has created this um, appetite for that. Um, maybe it's not smoking. Maybe it's an addictive drug. Maybe it's uh, something like a runner's high or even something as simple as caffeine. How many of you here drink caffeine? Right. Here's what I did about a few weeks ago. I decided I was going to take time off from caffeine. I don't really know what I was thinking. All right. So I went. I went. The first day was kind of okay. Second day and third day, man, I thought I was going to die. Now, I, that that's a little joking, but there was a day I was sitting in the conference room. I was trying to study for a sermon, and literally, I started sweating. I got nauseated. I had a headache. I started, like, what in the world is going on with me? And it was just simply I didn't have caffeine. Now, here's the thing. After about two weeks, I didn't have a need for it anymore. So it wasn't an appetite in my life. So some of them are naturally given by God, but some of them are our own creations. But here's the key I want you to see. Satan met Jesus at a point in his life when his physical 
appetites would have been very strong. And he made Jesus think that his physical appetite was the most important thing in his life. Let me just say this before we get to the second part of Jesus kind of resisting this. One of the things I think we have done a terrible job as churches in doing is trying to make people think once you become a Christian, you shouldn't have appetites anymore. Now, I'm talking more than food here. We've probably, you may have heard a testimony. I've heard a testimony before where somebody got up and said, I was a raging alcoholic. I, I couldn't control it. I lived for the bottle. And then I got saved. And once I got saved, I have never wanted a drop of alcohol again in my life. People go, Amen. That's power of God, which it is. Now, while that can happen, that's not normal. Just because we get saved doesn't mean that God wipes out our appetites. And the reason that does a disservice is because we have youth that sometimes think, well, why in the world am I even wanting to do that? If I'm going to be a good Christian, why should I even want to do that? We have young couples that think, well, why is that even on my mind? I must not be following the Lord because I've got this appetite or this desire in my life. You've got families that, you know, they have to cut up the credit cards because if they don't, they're going to go spend. Well, why can't I just control it on my own? I shouldn't have these kind of feelings. I shouldn't have these kind of desires. Here's the truth. Just because you give your life to Jesus doesn't mean your appetites are suddenly removed from your life. Jesus here is following the Lord completely. He goes out into the desert and when he doesn't eat, he gets hungry. I don't want you to get discouraged if you're here this morning and you think, well, I don't even think that I must be a Christian because all of a sudden I've got these thoughts in my mind and these desires. Now, here's the truth. You have to turn those over to the Lord. And you have to pray for strength in the midst of them. You can't just give in to them. But just because they're there doesn't mean that you're not following the Lord exactly. So Satan comes to Jesus and he says, listen, man, you're hungry. Why in the world are you, why are you doing that? You ain't got to deal with that. You, you ain't got to worry about that. Just, just, just eat. You can almost even say, God doesn't want you to suffer like this, Jesus. God doesn't want you to be that hungry. He he wants you to be filled. Just eat. What's it going to hurt? It's just one stone turned into bread. It's just one little thing. Man does live by bread, but Jesus' answer reminds us, but not bread alone. The key here is this. This is the key question you've got to figure out in your life. Do you control your appetites or do your appetites control you? Do you control your appetites or do your appetites control you? The idea here is he's saying to Jesus, Jesus, just give in to the temptation that you have to fill yourself, to settle that appetite. Here's the reality. And one of the things that you have to come to grips with The appetites that you have in your life, apart from Christ, will never be satisfied. Even as I mentioned the the Olive Garden thing, my my family being there a few minutes ago, you know what happened up here? You couldn't hear it, but my stomach growled a little bit. It's been a long morning. I mean, we've done service, done Sunday school, done service again, and I'm getting a little hungry. Well, I, I satisfied my appetite about five hours ago. I ate a big bagel and had milk and had snacks since then. Why in the world? Well, because my appetites aren't going to be filled. And apart from Christ, 
every appetite in your life will always want more. Everyone. Whether that be food, whether that be water, or whether that be other physical appetites. Whether that be in relationships, whether that be in financial status, whether that be in career ideas, when you have an appetite or a desire, if you fill it outside of Christ, and even if you do fulfill it in living for Christ, those things are made to come back. So bread alone is not going to fill our lives. And the question that Satan is basically asking Jesus here is, do you trust your Father? Jesus, you've been sent out into the wilderness. He told you to fast for 40 days and for 40 nights. And that at the end of that, you're going to be taken care of. Do you trust he's going to do what he says he's going to do? Now, here's an interesting thing. Does anybody know what book of the Bible his quote comes from here? Uh, it's an Old Testament. Deuteronomy. There we go. All right. Here, I'll give you a hint for the next two weeks. His, all his responses come from Deuteronomy. All right. So the next two weeks, if I ask that question, the answer is. Deuteronomy, okay? So in Deuteronomy, that's where this quote comes from, and it's Deuteronomy chapter 8, okay? You don't have to turn back there, it's going to be on the screen. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, what has happened is they're getting ready to go into the promised land, and the whole book of Deuteronomy is a sermon from Moses to the people about what to get ready to do in the promised land. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he's reminding them about their wandering in the wilderness, and this is what it says. It says, remember how the Lord your God fed you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What he's saying is, and what Jesus responds to him is, listen, just as the Israelites in the wilderness were being tested by God to see if they would trust him completely, no matter their circumstances, I am being tested by the Lord and tempted by you to move away from trusting the Lord, no matter my circumstances. Now, here's an interesting thing about what he says in there. He says that there were three things that happened in the wilderness. First of all, is God allowed them to get to the place where they didn't have enough food. Secondly, God gave them extraordinary provisions in the manna that came. And thirdly, he gave them ordinary provisions that just would have been common to them. If you read the next verse, it's not going to be on the screen and you can go back later. But it talks about that they had clothes that didn't wear out for 40 years. Now, that may not seem like a big deal. But if you've ever had eight-year-old boys' clothes wear out, for 40 years they didn't wear out. Now, here's what he's basically saying to them. If God can take care of you in the wilderness, you can trust Him to take care of you today. What Jesus basically responds to Satan is, when I look back and I see what God has done, when I know what God is doing, I can trust Him today and not have to give in to the temptation to fulfill my appetite. Here's the problem we face, is that we forget how God has brought us here. This week I was reading a book, and it reminded, it kind of talked about thinking about your life ten years ago. And then imagining if you would have known ten years ago where your life was today. When I think about my life ten years ago, I was 
um, graduating from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, Fort Worth, Texas. Susan and I have been married for th- almost three years. We had no kids. We were living in a very small apartment in Fort Worth, Texas. And I had no place to go. I didn't have a church to go to. I was graduating from seminary in about a week, and I didn't have a church that had contacted me, wanted to interview me. I'd been in school for seven years to pastor a church, and I had no church that thought it was good enough for me to come, or that I was good enough to come and interview. At the same time, Susan and I had just, at this time of year, first part of May, ten years ago, found out that the doctors had told us that we couldn't have children on our own. Ten years ago today. Ten years ago today, Susan was teaching school because that's the only way we had to make any money. She didn't, she didn't really want to be teaching school. She was teaching in Texas, and we were looking at options of staying in Texas or just moving back to with one of our parents. Because we didn't have anywhere to go. If you would have told me ten years ago that today I'd be standing before you in a church that I get to speak to every week that I love, living in an area of the country I absolutely love, in a nice house with three kids, including one who finally sang when the preschool choir sang this morning. And he sang. I don't know what happened between first service and second service, but he sang. I would have said I couldn't ask for anything else in my life. But here's the truth. I do. I constantly think about things that I need or want or ask for in my life. Because I've gotten used to the blessing that God has put on my life. And so I don't look back and say, look how far God has brought us. I mean, Susan and I used to dread Mother's Day and Father's Day. Because we were told we couldn't have kids. And it was a reminder to us that we were unable to do that, to be a mother or to be a dad, which God had placed this desire in our heart. We used to dread it. Now I've got three beautiful kids. I used to wonder if there was ever a church that was going to give me a chance to be able to to come and speak on a weekly basis and whether or not I could do it. I've never done it before. And the Lord has provided me opportunities at two great churches. And if the Lord has brought me this far, why can I not trust Him today? Now, here's why all this is important. Because there are some of you in this room, if not now, but in the very near future, that are in danger of exchanging a great future that God has planned for you by filling your appetites today. And if there's one thing I want to tell you, it is this. It's the thing on the screen. Don't sacrifice tomorrow to be satisfied today. Don't sacrifice tomorrow to be satisfied today. One of my favorite verses, Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans that I have you, plans to prosper and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, here's the thing. I believe that God has great plans and you never know what God is going to do through the people in this room. I don't have a clue the amazing things God has planned for the people in this room. 
but I know that they are great and mighty and God-honoring. And when you give in to temptation to satisfy appetites, you are jeopardizing tomorrow by filling yourself today. I'm going to turn back to Genesis chapter 25. You don't have to. It's not in the U version. It's not going to be on the screen. You can just listen if you'd like to. Most of you that grew up in church are familiar with the story. If you want to, it's Genesis 25. I just want you to see somebody that exchanged tomorrow for today. In Genesis chapter 25, we see the story of two brothers. Two brothers named Jacob and Esau. Now, Esau was a man's man. He was an outdoor guy. He was a hunter. He was somebody that was uh, always going out and getting the meat. He was a guy that that uh, well, you know was very. Scripture tells us he was very hairy, you know, and that would mean he was a man's man. All right. Now, Jacob was, for lack of a better term, a mama's boy. He liked to stay close to mama. He stayed home. He cooked. He decorated. He kept the house good. He was a mama's boy. Now, here's the thing. They were twins. Anybody know any twins? All right. Yeah, we got a couple. All right. They were twins. And one thing that twins know is who was born first. Right? You ever known twins that they didn't know that? No, they know that. Okay? And Esau was the firstborn. Now, he was barely the firstborn because literally when he came out, his brother was grabbing his heel, all right, on the way out. So Esau's the firstborn, Jacob's the secondborn. Now, that's a big deal in their culture, a bigger deal than it is in our culture. In their culture, the firstborn was given the birthright. Now, here's what the birthright meant. It meant three things primarily. First of all, it meant that you got a double portion of the inheritance. That meant you got double what all your other brothers got. So that's a big deal. That means whether you're rich or whether you're poor, you're doubly as rich as your brothers. And let's not pretend that sibling rivalries didn't exist back then, okay? That was a big deal. Here's the second thing that you got as a birthright. What you got was that you, when when your father passed away, when you were the oldest male, you became the judge of the family. So if there was a family dispute, guess who got to settle it? You did. Now, the third thing is you received the blessing, which the blessing was this spiritual kind of thing that, that's hard to kind of find. But the understanding was that you were going to be blessed by God more than your other siblings because of your birthright. So those are three pretty big deals. Wealth, power and spiritual blessing. That's what you got as your birthright. Well, in the story of Jacob and Esau, we have Esau, who was the older brother, the manly man and Jacob, the, the cook, the one that's at home. And one day it tells us, in verse 29 of chapter 25 of Genesis, once when Jacob was cooking some stew. Now, let me just tell you real quickly. This is not like if if you've got an old grandmother that made really good beef stew or vegetables. This is not that. It's the kind of stew that most of you, if you would have walked in, um, you you would have to hold your noses to hold back the gag reflex. Okay, This is not like a five-course meal at the finest restaurant in town. It is stew, common, normal. Esau came in from the open country, famished, hungry. And he said to Jacob, Hey man, let me have some of that red stew. I'm I'm famished. I'm hungry. 
Now, how many of you here are the oldest? Alright? How many of you here are not? Here's what I know. I'm not. I have an older brother. Here's what I know. The older sibling rarely needs anything from the younger one. Right? I mean, the older rarely needs anything from the younger. So if the older needs something from the younger sibling, the younger sibling is going to milk it for all it is worth. When my brother would come to me and say, Lyle, I need this, I would start as big as I thought I could get away with. All right? Well, how about we switch rooms? No, that's not going to happen. All right, well, well, how about uh, I get to drive your, your car for a couple? That's not going to happen. You know, you start bartering down, but you always start big. So Esau comes to Jacob and he says, man, I've got to have some of that suit. What's Jacob going to say? Just give me your birthright. Now, what's the proper response to that? No. But it's not worth a pot of stew. Earlier this year, I was... Uh, I was uh, watching a conference online, this passion conference out of Atlanta, and Andy Stanley was speaking, and he was speaking on this passage. And he took this in a direction that I had thought about before, but he took it to a depth I never really thought about it. And he said this. He said, it is at this point in the story when we say, who in their right mind would trade their birthright for a bowl of stew? Who in their right mind would trade wealth and power and spiritual blessing for a bowl of stew? And then he said this, you. And being in ministry 10 years, I can tell you this. I see people all the time that trade the glorious future that God has for them for a momentary feeling of an appetite in their life. Some of you had parents that did that. Maybe you had a dad who wasn't as involved as he should have been and part of that was because of a choice he made about a pill or a bottle or another woman or another man that's not even in their life anymore or a career that took him away all the time. Now let me say this. There's some of you in this room that may be on the verge of doing exactly that. Or you have already. You see, what was at stake when Jesus was offered the bread was not just food for the moment. It was the salvation of you and me. It was the reconciliation of the world to the Father. It was the future of eternity with God. And we are rarely ever close to understanding the consequences of our actions in a moment. What happened with Jacob and Esau here, it's amazing. Jacob comes to him and says, sell me your birthright. And what does Esau say? Man, I am about to die. Is that true? No. Have you ever said something like that? Man, I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. There is this thing, and you know, psychologists have figured out that when uh, we have a really strong impulse and we have a really strong appetite that it takes over the rest of our lives, we think that is the most important thing around. He says, I'm going to die. What good is my birthright to me anyway? 
I don't live, it doesn't matter if i got a birthright or not. You're going to get it anyway, so give me some stew. Now, he wasn't going to die. But what he's saying there is that I am willing to trade tomorrow to be satisfied today. I just got to have it right now. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Most of the time in that culture, birthright included wealth, power, and spiritual blessing. But what didn't often happen in that day was that the birthright also included being in the line of the Savior of the world. The family history of Jesus the Christ. When uh, when they when Moses is uh, when Moses is going before the Lord at the burning bush and the Lord says, I want you to be my messenger. Moses says, I don't even know who you are. Who am I going to tell these people to send me? And what does he say? He says, I am the Lord your God. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and e- Jacob. When you get to the New Testament and Matthew writes his story about Jesus and he says, here are the history of who Jesus is. It says that Abraham begot Isaac. And Isaac Now, who was supposed to be there? Esau. Isaac begot Jacob. Now, can you imagine if God would have paused the scene for a moment when Jacob said, just give me your birthright? And when he'd come to Esau and he said, Esau, this is what you're about to give up. Do you really want to give up all of that for a bowl of stew? Let me ask you a question. I don't know. I don't know what decisions are in your life or have been in your life. I don't know what the future holds. I know this. The future that God intends for you is greater, higher, grander than anything you and I can ask or imagine. So let me ask you a question. What is that pot of stew in your life? What is that turning stone into bread in your life that you are on the verge of trading tomorrow to be satisfied today. 